0: Hey everyone, welcome to Dig Deep. We are in the middle of our series on trust, and we learn pretty early on in life that other human beings are not always very trustworthy. I grew up in a pretty big family. I'm one of five kids, and one of my favorite family activities growing up was our camping trips together. I loved going camping. I thought it was always an adventure and always just so much fun. One thing that I did not care for growing up camping, especially when we would camp in or around Maryland in the summertime, were the bugs that would join us on these camping trips. And I know that sounds a little silly to say, I like camping except for the bugs. But in Maryland, especially if it's a humid week, bugs can be kind of an issue, especially the dreaded mosquito. And I felt like I always got more bug bites than anyone else in our family. I doubt that's true, but that's how I always felt on these camping trips. Well, on one particular trip, I was complaining about my bug bites to my two brothers. And my one brother said, well, you know, Jess... The reason you get a bug bite is when the mosquito bites you, it injects a sort of venom into your body and then it starts to suck your blood. And I was like, yes, of course, everybody knows that. And he said, what? What most people don't know is that if you let the mosquito suck blood for as long as it wants to, it will eventually suck the venom back out along with the blood and you won't end up with a bug bite. He said, the reason most people get bug bites is because they swat it and kill it before it's done sucking your blood. And so they, they, the venom is still in there and it itches. And I thought that sounds pretty lame. I mean, I think I would have heard of that by now. My little elementary schooler mind thought that, that surely can't be true. So I kind of wrote it off. But a couple days later, I saw a mosquito land directly on my forearm. And in that moment, I thought, okay, nobody else is around. This is my chance to test this little hypothesis and see whether it's true or not. Because if it is, this could be life changing for me. I could live without bug bites for the rest of my life if this really is true. And so I sat there and let that mosquito suck my blood for what felt like an eternity. And do you know what's amazing? Is it worked. That mosquito sucked my blood for what seemed like forever, and then I guess it eventually sucked the venom out too because I didn't have a bug bite. No, of course that's not what happened. I had a bug bite on my arm the size of Texas, and my trust in my brother's was broken that day. Little jerks. Human beings are notoriously untrustworthy and we learned that pretty early on in life. And I hope you caught last week's episode where we discussed how trust can be built and even rebuilt in our relationships with one another. But our trust issues as humans are not limited to our relationships with each other. We struggle to trust God, to really trust trust him. And those trust issues go all the way back to the beginning. If we go back to Adam and Eve and look at their relationship with God, we might think that their relationship was pretty straightforward and simple and think, how could they possibly mess this up? God gave them a couple basic commands, instructions, and then they blew it. They blew it. They made the decision to eat from the tree that God said, don't eat from it. And then everything fell apart. That was the beginning of the brokenness of that relationship. But when we look at that relationship, when we look at that decision, we don't just see Adam and Eve, you know, falling a little bit short of some perfect standard. Like God said, you know, keep these three big commands and they were able to do like two and three quarters or two and five-eighths worth, but they just couldn't quite get there. And so God was like, mm, sorry, not good enough. And then kicked them out of the garden. We also don't see, you know, malicious intent from Adam and Eve. It's not like they... Seem to have hated God or wanted to rebel against him because they thought he was horrible. No, what we see when we look at their decision to disobey is a lack of trust. They knew what God had commanded, but there was an offer placed in front of them. And we can see that Adam and Eve must have wondered, is God holding out on us? Is there something better for us that God just wants to keep out of reach from us and they take matters into their own hands and they sin, they disobey. And that relationship, that trust was broken. And we've all experienced that in our own lives. We've all questioned God's goodness. We've all wondered if his way really is best. And so instead of being obedient to his ways, We've chosen our own path. We've made decisions that have broken that relationship with God. And the gospel is the story of God's restorative work. It's the story of him drawing us back into a relationship with himself, a deep, meaningful relationship that's based on trust. And so today I want us to look at the relationship that the disciples had with Jesus. Because sometimes when I read the Bible, I'm tempted to think that if I had lived back then, you know, if I had had the opportunity and the honor to physically, in person, follow Jesus around and be his disciple, that I would have much bigger faith, that I would be much more trusting, that I wouldn't have any issues following him because he would have been right there in front of me in the flesh. But the truth is, the disciples had to learn to trust Jesus. They had to grow their faith in Jesus the same way that I need to do that today. And so I think we have a lot to learn from them. We're going to look at two stories today of the disciples in their relationship with Jesus. And what I think is cool is that we are going to see the same five ingredients of trust that we talked about last week at work in the disciples' relationship with Jesus. Last week, we looked at Dr. Henry Cloud's five ingredients of trust understanding, ability, motive, character, and track record. And what we're going to see is that those ingredients, while they're required in our relationship with other people, are also ingredients of trust in our relationship with God. And we see that at work in the lives of the disciples. So let's jump into our first story. It's in Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 23. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, "'Lord, save us, we're going to drown.'" Jesus responded, Why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man? They asked. Even the winds and waves obey him. And so right off the bat in this story, we see understanding being demonstrated in the relationship between Jesus and his disciples. If you remember last week, we talked about how understanding is asking the question, is this person listening to me? And in our relationship with God, we can ask, is God listening to me? And even more than that, am I talking? See, trust requires dialogue. Trust requires dialogue. And my temptation when a storm comes into my life is to try everything in my power to solve it, to fix it, to change it, to escape it. I do everything I absolutely can. And if that doesn't work, I start to talk with everyone around me in my life about it. I want to know if they have any tips or tricks or advice for escaping the storm or solving my problem. And if I do eventually go to God with the issue, what's sad is I often say something to him like, well, God, you obviously know what's going on. Can you do something about it? Or tell me what to do. And what we see in this story and what I've seen in my own life, my own relationship with God, is that when it comes to understanding, God wants us to cry out to him first. Not to try to solve it on our own, but to go to him and talk to him about it. He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from me. And he wants to respond to us and trust only grows when understanding grows. I like to imagine this story if it had happened differently. I mean, I imagine if Jesus had just calmed the wind and the waves without any interaction with the disciples. You know, if he had stirred from his little nap and thought, man, the storm is really annoying, and he just said quietly, like under his breath, okay, cut it out, storm, and the storm stopped, the disciples would have thought, oh, man, thank goodness. We were all stressed out. We were trying to escape the storm, but thankfully it just stopped. Or imagine that Jesus never allowed the disciples to experience the storm in the first place. Imagine he had just told them in a sermon on a mountainside somewhere, oh, and by the way, guys, I can calm the wind and the waves. But instead, Jesus grew their trust by allowing them into a relationship with him where the storm came and they had the opportunity to cry out to him. And when they did, he answered them. And for you and I, this can be tricky because sometimes when I am in a storm and I do look to God to see what he's doing, to see if he's going to act, it feels like he's sleeping. It feels like he's asleep in the boat. And the disciples in this story, they could have just gotten mad at Jesus and said, okay, well, he's just sleeping. And so he obviously doesn't care about us. He obviously doesn't care about this storm. So let's just keep trying to handle it on our own. No, they move past that and they cry out to him. And this experience grows their trust because they cried out to him and he proved to them that he heard them and he provided for their needs. And in this story, Jesus demonstrated his incredible ability, which last week we said understanding and ability go hand in hand. Not only did he hear them, but he proved that he had the power To save them. And so Jesus shows them here that he is more than just a great teacher. He's more than a prophet. In verse 27, the disciples were amazed. Who is this man? They asked, even the winds and the waves obey him. And here's how you and I can do this in our own lives. When we're looking to grow our relationship with God, to grow our trust, we need to do what the disciples are doing here, where they just say, um, that just happened, I think there's value to saying, um, that just happened in our relationship with God. We benefit and we grow from focusing on God's ability. We say that just happened. And so when God prompts us to show grace to someone instead of to take vengeance, and that relationship that's broken begins to heal We need to not pat ourselves on the back for that or just say, oh, I guess that's just lucky. You know, time heals all wounds. No, we need to step back and say, you know what? God told me to do that. He said, this is my way of doing things. I trusted him and now healing's happening. We need to say that just happened and acknowledge God's ability. When we witness a modern day miracle We ask God to provide for a need that we have. We ask God for healing for a loved one. When that need is met or that healing comes, we need to step back and worship him and say, that just happened. If you're a journaler, maybe you write these things in your journal. If you are an interactive person, maybe you tell your spouse or your friends, look, I asked God to do this and he did it in my life. That exercises our trust. It grows our trust. Our trust in him, to acknowledge his ability, to look for it at work in our lives and call it out to say, um, that just happened. God really just did that. And that's what the disciples did here at the end of this story. They say, Who is this man? Even the winds and the waves obey him. That just happened. But they still don't get it yet. The disciples have been following Jesus for a while now. And they're asking the question, who is this man? So now I want us to move to our next story today. It's in Matthew chapter 14. So just a few chapters later in the book of Matthew. And what I think is interesting about these two stories is that they take place in the exact same place geographically. The disciples have traveled all around at this point, but they are back at the northernmost tip of the Sea of Galilee. It's actually a lake, but it's called a sea by tradition in the Jewish culture. I'm not really sure why, but it's the lake. It's the same lake in both of these stories, and they are in the same place place on the shore of this lake when Matthew chapter 14 happens. And I know for many of you, you are not following along with a hard copy of your Bible in front of you, but if you are, I encourage you just for a minute to start in Matthew chapter 8 and as I read what is happening between these two chapters, flip through the pages and just take a moment to imagine all that the disciples have been through with Jesus between Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 14. Because at the end of Matthew chapter 8, they say, who is this man? And then they go on from that place and they see Jesus heal many people. And as you flip the pages, you see that he casts out many demons. In Matthew chapter 9, he raises a little girl back to life. As you flip more pages, you see that Jesus starts to explain his purposes more and more to his disciples. In chapter 10, he officially commissions the 12 apostles, and he starts to warn them that persecution is about to come. Then you flip more pages, and you see that Jesus is starting to go toe-to-toe with some of the most respected and feared religious leaders of the time. And then they see the beginning of that awful persecution that Jesus described as they hear about John the Baptist Who was beheaded. And then we get to chapter 14 in the book of Matthew. And the disciples have just recently received this horrible news, and they have just witnessed Jesus perform another incredible miracle, feeding 5,000 men, plus women and children, with basically just a sack lunch. And then we come to verse 22 in Matthew chapter 14. walking on the water. See, up to this point, this story sounds pretty similar to Matthew chapter 8, but instead of Jesus being asleep in the back of the boat, he's not even with them. He's off on the land somewhere, and out of nowhere, in the middle of the night, they see him walking toward them on the water. And in verse 26, it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified, and in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. And this is where we see the third ingredient of trust at work in their relationship, because Jesus is showing his disciples his motives. See, Jesus doesn't say, hey, guys, take courage. I'm going to calm this storm. Don't worry about it. And he doesn't say, guys, take courage. I'm going to make everything perfect and smooth sailing literally for you from now on. No, Jesus says, take courage. I am here. I'm here with you. The Reverend Nicky Gumble, who's a vicar in the Church of England, writes, During World War II, in the terrible days of the Blitz, a father, holding his small son by the hand, ran from a building that had been struck by a bomb. In the front yard was a shell hole. Seeking shelter as quickly as possible, the father jumped into the hole and held up his arms for his son to follow. Terrified, yet hearing his father's voice telling him to jump, the boy replied, I can't see you. The father called to the silhouette of his son, but I can see you. Jump. The boy jumped because he trusted his father. He knew his father loved him, and he jumped with confidence expectation. And we said last week that trust can be defined as confident expectation. We grow our trust by worshiping God because he's good. And this is hard. This is a hard step to take because Jesus let his disciples experience storms. And he lets us experience storms in this life. In the midst of a recent storm in my life, I stood in a worship service where a worship leader was leading us in the song, Good, Good Father. And if you're not familiar with that song, the words sing, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. And then it says, you are perfect in all of your ways. Perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. And I stood there with my lips sealed and my heart cold and I thought, are you though? Are you really perfect in all of your ways? Because it doesn't feel like it right now. And I was angry with God because he was allowing a storm to happen in my life. And the way that we build our trust in God is even in the midst of the storm, even when we don't feel like it, to acknowledge in our hearts His goodness and worship Him. And maybe, maybe you can't bring yourself to sing the words in a corporate gathering. Maybe it's in a private alone time with the Lord that you acknowledge, I don't feel it right now, but I trust that you are good. And that even though you're allowing this storm to take place in my life, I believe you are good. I believe you're a good, good father. And Jesus says to his disciples, I'm not going to make all the storms go away, but I'm here. I am here with you. Jesus says those words to his disciples. And then Peter, (laughs) you got to love Peter. He does something crazy. In the midst of the storm, still raging around them, verse 28, Peter calls out to Jesus and says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. I don't know why Peter doesn't ask him to calm the storm first. That's personally what I would do. I've seen Jesus do it before. I would say, uh, can you calm the storm? And then maybe let's try this walking on water thing. That looks amazing. I want to give that a go myself. No, he just says, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. In verse 29, Jesus says, yes, come. And so Peter goes over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. And in verse 30, but when he saw the strong winds and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. You remember how the disciples responded after Jesus calmed the storm in Matthew chapter 8? In verse 27 of Matthew 8, they said, who is this man? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And then they journeyed with Jesus. They saw him perform those miracles. They listened to him teach. They saw him argue with religious leaders. And all along the way, one step at a time, they grew their trust in him. And so at the end of this story in Matthew chapter 14, instead of saying, who is this man? They worship him. And say, you really are the son of God. And this is the ingredient of character. The fourth ingredient of trust is character. And remember we said last week, this isn't just moral character. This is who a person is. Who is this man? That's what they were asking in Matthew chapter 8. Who is this? And for you and I, this is the most important question we will ever answer. Is who is Jesus. Who is this man? And the reason this is so important for you and I to answer is because our whole lives, we will be presented with the temptation to place our faith in a quote-unquote Jesus other than the real Jesus. See, Jesus is not a genie that grants wishes. He's not some sort of formula where if you do all the right things and say all the right words and check all the right boxes, that you won't ever feel pain or loss in your life. Jesus never claimed To be that. Jesus is the Son of God who came into the world to save us from the worst pain imaginable, which is separation from Him for eternity. Jesus suffered and died to give us that life, eternal life. But He never, ever promised that life here on earth would be easy, that it would be free of storms. He never said that we wouldn't feel profound loss and grief. What he did promise us is that we would now not suffer that grief without hope. What is the storm that you're facing right now? Jesus is saying to you in the midst of that storm, I am here. Talk with me. Cry out to me. Remember the things that you've seen me do. Acknowledge and remember and reflect on the truth that my motives are good, that I love you, and that I'm here. And maybe for you, it's a storm that you're in the midst of right now. But for some of you, it's a decision that God wants you to make. It's a step that he wants you to take. He wants to grow Your trust in him. He wants to take you to places that you've never been. In the same way that the disciples grew their trust in Jesus over time and it led them to see things and experience things and to be a part of things that changed the world for all of history, for all of eternity, he wants the same for you and for me in our relationship with him. And so there may be a decision, a step, something in front of you right now where you know you felt God saying, Trust me with this. Trust me and you've wondered, is he really trustworthy? Can I really take this step in faith for me? one of the times when I experienced that was back when I was about to graduate from college, I went on a mission trip to India. And we did several things on this mission trip, but toward the second half of the trip, toward the end of the trip, we took buses along with this ministry that was a church planning ministry that took the gospel out to some of the really remote villages in Southern India. We would drive for hours and see nothing. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of nowhere, there'd be a small village, sometimes just 50 people, maybe 100 people living and farming in this one area, and then we wouldn't see anything else for several more hours of driving. And so on this one particular day, we drove a couple hours out to this particular village, and then Ravi, who was the leader of the ministry, this church planning ministry that we were working with, before we got off the bus to walk around with our translators and talk with people about who Jesus is and to share our testimonies with them, to share our stories of faith with them. He prayed for us and he said, okay, I want everybody to bow your heads and we're going to pray that God blesses this day and he blesses our efforts. And I don't know if you've ever had an experience like this during a prayer where you're praying and everyone else seems to be totally into it, but your eyes pop open at some point and you look around. See, Ravi led this prayer off by saying, God, thank you so much for this opportunity for us to come and share your good news with this village today. And I got my eyes closed and my hands folded and I'm thinking, yes, awesome, right on. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. But then he says, and God, we just want you to know that if it is your will, if it's your desire for us to die today in our efforts to share your gospel with this village, we willingly give our lives. And that's the point where my eyes popped open and I started to look around and wonder, okay, is is everybody cool with this? Uh, say what, say what now? I was just not totally sure that I was on board with this. I thought, is this a real possibility? I mean, why would he pray something like that if he didn't think that that could actually happen? And if so, I don't know if, if I feel up to this. And I felt God stirring something in my heart saying, I want you to trust me with this. I want you to trust me to step off of the bus, to pray that prayer and to step off the bus. And all I could think about was, Everything I had going on in my life that led me to believe that there is no way God would want me to die in that village in India that day. I mean, I argued with him in my mind. I was about to graduate from college. I thought, God, you've, you've helped me get through college and, and do so well. I'm finally about to reach the end of that road, and I've got this wonderful fiancé at home. I've got a wedding dress hanging in my closet. Surely that is your plan for me. Why would you ask me to do this? I mean, in the middle of nowhere, this, this cannot be your plan. And he was saying, trust me, step off of the bus. And the problem is in my relationship with God, what I tend to do is ask him for the long-term picture. He'll just give me the next little step and say, I want you to get off the bus, but I want to know, okay, well, God, if I get off the bus, what's going to happen after that? And then what's going to happen after that? And then what's going to happen after that? And he doesn't offer up that information. He just says, I'm telling you what to do now, and I need you to trust me. And so for some of you, You might be facing a decision like that right now. You felt a little nudge in your heart again and again and again to attend Orphan Sunday at your church. But you have conversations with God where you say, okay, I'll consider going, but I need you to show me what's after that. What are you trying to lead me toward? I I need to know what your intentions are. Or maybe you've heard them announce a certain nonprofit organization or a mission trip, and your heart starts beating faster every single time with that specific issue or that specific organization. But you want to know, okay, God, but you need to give me the bottom line here. I mean, how much is this going to require of me? What is this going to take from my life and the things I have planned? And he's saying, I need you to trust me. I want you to take this next step. Or maybe for you, it's you're ready to leave your marriage, to walk out, you're done, it's over. But you hear God say, and you cannot deny it, that he's saying, I want you to stay, stay, trust me. I'm going to guide you in this. But you argue with God and you say, God, he's not changing or she'll never change. I'm not going to do this unless you give me some kind of proof that real change is going to happen. I'm not going to stick around. And he's saying, I want you to trust me. Trust me to take that next step. Step. That day in India, I did end up stepping out of that bus, and we saw many people in that village make a decision for Christ that day to accept him as their Lord and as their Savior. And they welcomed the invitation for that church planning organization to send someone to help them establish their own local church in their village. And in the same way that I'm sure Peter's life was forever changed by those few moments that he walked on water with Jesus. I was changed by that decision to get off the bus. I am grateful that I can relate to Peter in his struggle to trust Jesus. Because even when he finally does step out of the boat, it doesn't last long before he is totally thrown off by his own fear and insecurity and doubt, and I can relate to that. But I'm also inspired by Peter, Because you know what one of my favorite details of this story is? Peter asks Jesus to call him out of the boat. Verse 28, Peter calls to Jesus, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. And that's who I want to be. That's the kind of faith I want to have. I don't want to be someone who just reluctantly goes when... I'm called so many times that I can't deny it anymore. I want the kind of faith. I want the kind of relationship with God where I'm looking out on the horizon. I want to see where he's moving and then call out to him, Lord, if that's really you at work, call me out there with you. And that kind of trust is possible. And it grows over time one day at a time, one decision at a time, one storm at a time, we say to Jesus, I trust you. I trust you with my marriage. I trust you with my children. I trust you with my finances, with my resources. I trust you with my life, my decisions. Lead me in the way you want me to go. And he is not trying to trick you. He's not trying to trick me. He is trustworthy. He loves us and he wants to show us things that will absolutely blow our minds. He is a good, good father and he is trustworthy. Thanks for being here this week. I hope you'll come back and join us next week as we conclude this series on trust. I think it'll be a great week. I look forward to seeing you back here then. And until then, remember to dig deep.